Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Mountaintop by Katori Hall is a gripping two-person drama about the last day of Martin Luther King Jr. In the play, King is alone in his hotel room when he's joined by Kami, a maid who works for the Lorraine Motel. What follows is a reflective, often funny, often touching conversation in which Dr. King examines his achievements, his failures, and his unfinished dreams. Today on the program, we're welcoming in Kevin Thorne II and Sage Fortune, who are performing in this production, and uh, director Eric Ruffin. We'll also preview the other works in the upcoming season from the Lyric Repertory Company in Logan. Uh, and that uh, season is uh, ongoing, I believe, last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Ruffin, first yeah. performance of The Mountaintop? First performance of The Mountaintop. All right, great. Uh, the, the other... Um, plays in this season, Dreaming American by Paul Mitri. He's the uh, the new uh, department head for theater at Utah State University. Uh, it's an immigration story of an Egyptian man pushed by his older brother to go to America and live the dream. Then we have the Thanksgiving play by Larissa Fast Horse. It's a uh, story of four woke theater makers who want to create a politically correct Thanksgiving play that's historically accurate, avoids all possible stereotypes, and doesn't offend anyone. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, uh, we also have All the Way by Robert Schenken. Uh, this is a regional premiere, and uh, this is about uh, LBJ and a prelude to the Great Society. And that stars, I believe it's a one-man show, or at least the one live person on the, on the stage is Richie Call, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he's accompanied uh, by some background. He's back to the technology and what I understand is he, he has to hit all of his uh, his timings or everything goes horribly wrong. So <laughs> mm. It's a high wire act is what I hear. So, so go and see him uh, either crash or... <laughs> Or uh, or succeed, you know, and the and the play is great too. I imagine <laughs> I, uh, Richie will forgive me for saying that. Thank you. Then there's the uh, third annual Vosco Call Spotlight concert, hosted by Richie Call and Jason Spellring, and we'll get talk, talking as well about Interact Times Two, a celebration of works in progress. Uh, two of our guests today are involved in that, I believe. So, um, so uh, let's welcome in um, uh, Eric Ruffin. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for having the cast today. Yeah, yeah, this is wonderful. We'll get to know you a little bit and talk about the mountaintop and interact. Uh, Sage Fortune joins us. Thanks. Hello. Great to be here. Good to be with you. And Kevin Thorne II, thank you. Hey, hey, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you uh, you being with us. Uh, let me start with uh, Eric Ruffin, get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, Lord. Okay, so... <laughs> How back? How far? Uh, uh, go. <laughs> I was born <laughs> by the river. No, uh, um, I'm originally from Philadelphia, and I've had the bug, theater bug, since I was about 12. Um, you know, over that time, I've trained a great deal as an actor, singer, dancer, spent some time um, in New York as an actor, singer, dancer after graduating from uh, undergrad at Howard University. Um, left that after just being jaded and cynical and joined the military was on in the navy for 4 years on a submarine in Pearl Harbor uh did some scuba diving diving for the navy and then uh beyond that went to grad school and studied directing and I've been directing and teaching since 1999 96 somewhere in there it's all a blur <laughs> um and so I teach at, at Howard University acting and directing and I work professionally as a director um in regional theaters off Broadway um and so I guess that's the background <laughs> yeah good. that all brings that's, me here that's quite the background I have to follow up yeah. 
um, you're acting, you're in New York, whatever, you're living living the dream, and then to the Navy. How do how did that transition? It was not quite the dream. Happened. <laughs> oh, that's why the Navy. That, that was the, part okay. of the reason. Okay. You know, I was yeah. 25. I graduated um, with honors from mm-hmm. you know undergrad, and and there I was after four years in New York and working fairly consistently as an actor, singer, dancer, but I never earned more than about fourteen thousand dollars a year. It's a lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, uh, being an actor. You know, you. You sacrifice a great deal, especially in the early part of your career. No, I would say the entire part of your career. You sacrifice in order to to do this thing that you love. And after about four years of such (laughs) sad pay, I just said, let me reexamine the whole thing because I'm not living the dream at all. Um, Eating a lot of sardines and tuna fish just like I did in college and a lot of oodles and noodles. So I joined the Navy and said, let me look at my life objectively. This four years of sort of hiatus from the arts, give me a chance to sort of step step back and, and look at the entire thing uh, more objectively. And after the four years, I realized in the Navy, it was like, oh, no. In fact, here's a crazy story. One day I was on the ship. Uh, this is a submarine, which is called the Silent Fleet, right? And I'm practicing some tap routines. And I'm, we're underwater. And they're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> I was like, this is called. I'm like, how flat ball change? And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. This is the Silent Fleet. Can you can you sit your behind down somewhere? Um but you know, it's it's being around such sort of wonderful shipmates who would you know drive me off to take my dance classes whenever we were in in port. Who would drag me down to Waikiki and say, "No, you have an incredible voice. You should sing um, karaoke for the tourists." You know, right. they forced me to continue being an artist, and mm-hmm. um, you know, part of the reason why I joined the Navy also was because I I wanted to be normal. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I there was this part of me that felt so odd, so weird for being an artist. Mm-hmm. And I just said, I just want to be normal. I want to like just throw a football with the rest of the guys and, and not be sort of, you know, put on the outside because I'm an artist. And I got into the Navy and these guys who were sort of normal from the Appalachia and from, mm-hmm. you know, Idaho and Utah and all these places were like, um, you don't belong here. <laughs> God has given you some gifts, and those gifts need to be shared with the world. You you, you need to go back to the arts. And mm-hmm. so I did. I, I went and got a master's degree in directing. Yeah. You know, that objective view also allowed me to sort of figure out what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, did you... Did you sing karaoke for this? Absolutely. In your uniform? Mm-hmm. Oh no no no. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. That would have been quite a picture, yeah. Right. But okay, wonderful. Yeah. So so that time in the uh, so you re- they were giving you this advice, but I guess you realized, oh yes, I missed that life too, I, right? I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I realized um you know that that time for introspection was great. I think I joined and said, I've got to figure this thing out. And after boot camp, I had figured it out. Mm. But I was still committed for another three and a half years. Um, so it's just really time to reflect on like what those gifts are and how to use those gifts. And um, really to examine other aspects of life. Because uh, also being in New York, I'd surrounded myself with actors, singers, dancers, musicians, visual artists. And I felt as if you know I don't know anyone that's plumbing. I don't know anyone that's an engineer. I don't know anyone that's sort of taken on a job at Walmart or whatever. And I just, I needed to expand my circle. Yeah. You know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to take the charge to, um, you know, expose the human condition and like put 
truth on stage. Yeah. I need to be engaged in truth mm-hmm. and not just in the sort of artistic vision of what truth is. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that yeah. does. That does, yeah. So. Let me turn to Sage Fortune. Uh, I've got uh, your website up here. So. Ah. <laughs> TheSageFortune.com. Oh, well, you know, Sage Fortune wasn't available because okay. I believe it's occupied by a heavy metal rock band. Oh, is it really? I think so. Wow. Yes. Yeah, So the uh, but it could also be seen as self-confidence, right? You are the you Sage know, Fortune. I try to own that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and, and you describe yourself uh, here in the main masthead as actor, artist, womanist. Yes. Very good. <laughs> uh, so tell me a little bit about your background. Um, well, I was born and raised in Long Island, New York. Um, I can't really remember when I sw- when I started, you know, wanting to act. I feel like it was just part of it was just part of me for as long as I can remember. Um, I started dancing when I was like four. My mother put me in classes, and then one of the dance schools that I went to had the opportunity to do plays, and I was like, I want to do that. And so I started doing that, and then I was doing theater, you know, at church, etc. And then I got to Howard, which was funny. I actually really didn't want to go to college. And my mother was like, no, you have to go. I was like, can I take a gap year? She was like, no. (laughs) And so I went to Howard um, and I auditioned for the acting program because I literally didn't know anything else that I'd possibly want to spend time doing. And then I got in and I was like, okay, well, here we are and we're doing this. (laughs) So that's pretty much it. I don't know. Oh, I played piano for a little bit. Um, I played softball for one year, if that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, played softball? In middle school, in oh, the middle, eighth okay. grade. I was going <laughs> to ask you if there was a professional league somewhere. So, okay. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, w- what is it about the theater? Um, I don't know. I, I wish I could articulate it better. I think that's just when I feel the most free and honest. I think, you know... I'm a pretty anxious person. I'm a pretty, I think I'm a bubbly person once you get to know me, but I'm kind of internal. And so I think that's my opportunity to express anything in a way that makes me feel open, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I, you know, I don't really have that many friends. I'm like a very selective person with who I spend my time with and, so I feel like that's my way to connect with more people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah wonderful. Uh, let me turn to um, Kevin Thorne the uh, second. Tell me a little about about your background. Well, um, my background, I had I came up in the church, so there's a whole lot of performance there. It's <laughs> <clears throat> a whole lot of performance, but um, you know, I was my parents were in music, and so they were always in front of people. They were, you know, welcoming people in, singing. And so, like, I, I being that son, uh, being a part of that sort of kind of, you know, ideal of what a family who is a family of musicians and singers, like, I found my world in drums, right? I played the drums, and every Sunday I was playing, and I started, like, picking up the drums at, like, three, and I started playing by five in the church, like, regularly. And, you know, I kept on doing that. And then, like, there was a point in time where playing drums kind of got in my way of just living and being a kid. And it's like everyone else is playing downstairs while everyone else is having rehearsal upstairs. And I'm like, but I want to play with the kids. I want to be with the kids. (laughs) 
So like, you know, I kind of, I was like stepped away from that, but that opened me up to, a, you know, like the understanding of rhythm and, and knowing how things fit together. Um, so of course, so as soon as I get to like, you know, middle school, like I want to join the chorus. So I joined the chorus my senior year. Oh, well, not, you know, like the last year that you're in middle school. So what, what is that? <laughs> eighth grade. Eighth grade, yeah. So I'm in there eighth grade, and then there's an opportunity to do musical, Into the Woods. And I've never done a musical before, never <laughs> performed before. And this is where I have my first ever dropped line, and, like, there's complete <laughs> silence on stage. Because I'm supposed to deliver a line from off stage, and it's supposed to put someone else to go forward, you know, like to drive the story forward. But no one says the line before, so I don't give my line. So they're on stage like dead silence. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm not doing theater again. <laughs> but, um, you know, the chorus teacher, she was like, no, you should do theater again. You should do it. You should definitely try because um, you're about to go to high school and they're going to be doing Guys and Dolls. And so I didn't do Guys and Dolls. I did it. <laughs> but the next uh, semester, they were doing a show called Fools by Neil Simon. So I was like, Okay, I'll audition. So I go into the room. I see my friend in there, and I mainly go in there because he's in there. I'm like, hey, I didn't know this was, this was the audition in a classroom. So I go in, and I'll be like, oh, and the teacher's like, are you here to audition? Um, I guess so. <laughs> so I say, sure. And then I just improv something, and then I become props master. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I'm props master. So past that, um, we are like halfway through the production and people are, you know, off book now. And I am backstage handling props, ready to move things. And I'm mouthing all their lines. I know everybody's lines. I know everyone's lines. And everyone knows that I know their lines. And they're frustrated that I know their lines, mm. sometimes better than them. And um, one day, one of the main characters who plays the villain, uh, he... Um, says, I can't be at rehearsal today. I'm going to go get my hair done. <laughs> I can't be at rehearsal. And it's a dress rehearsal just before you're supposed to go on. And the teacher, the professor, uh, the teacher, she knows, Miss uh, Miss Belanger, she knows that I know everyone's lines. She's like, can you step in and do this? And I do the whole show. And I was like, I guess you're doing the show tonight. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I did the show. And from there on, it was just that. And um, I kept on doing theater all through high school. Uh, then I got to Howard and, and then everything I thought I knew about acting just falls away. <laughs> and then I, I, I'm crafted into this new kind of actor and I've been privileged to work in DC for the past four years up until COVID, working in some tremendous spaces. I'm starting with spooky action to Pointless to Synetic to Keegan to Discovery Theater and Mosaic and then it just stops, you know, at COVID. Yeah. Which is very, very sad because, like, there was so much more opportunities that were coming down the pike. So many shows that were, like, I know for a fact so many people were excited to put their work. There was new works coming out. But now, you know, now that things are opening up, who knows, you know, whether or not they're going to get their opportunity or their chance. Some people have been discouraged from acting. Um, people have been depressed. You know, their motivations have gone down. And I, I you know, and I feel for that because, you know, when you don't have a support system or you don't have something that gives you purpose in this world, it, you kind of lose that sort of drive, especially being in such a time like this. And it's difficult. Yeah. So what does it take to, uh, you know, you you have a, a career either earlier or mid and, and you're going great guns and, uh, and then COVID hits. 
live theater disappears essentially for a year, what does it take to keep going? Mm. I think that's a time to sharpen your tools. At least that's what I was tr I tried to do. And I got involved um, with Howard University again, because that's my love, you know, like they took me and they gave me um, family f away from family. So I was like, excuse me, this is my opportunity to sort of kind of give back and, and be of service. So um, I was happy enough to serve under the new artistic director at Howard University <laughs> with uh, Eric Ruffin here. Uh, and he brought me in as uh, assistant to the artistic director doing, you know, editing, um, assisting with um, social media, um, just allowing uh, Howard to kind of jump into that digital age where it needed to be. And it was it, it needed to have that grounding there. And um, it's it's done well. Like we great we created a large social media presence. We started posting content regularly. And um, now that I'm here, you know, that's been taken on by another student. I'm grateful for that because now we've set a new standard for what Howard should be doing, um, what our output should be. And it's even more great now that, you know, we have Felicia Rashad as our new chair um, getting more attention. And um, dean. Dean, 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 I'm sorry, I'm new dean. I apologize. <laughs> new dean. Thank you. Um, it, it, it's just amazing what uh, is coming down. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. That, uh, so a similar question to you, Eric Ruffin. I uh, assume work at the university goes forward, but I'm sure you connected in with actors and directors and people in the theater who uh, suffered a lot during this, this year. There was, I was at a rehearsal one evening. This is before things began to shut down. And we were sitting around, you know, doing all of the, what we call table work, the digging into the who, what, where, why, when, and how, or the storytelling. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, all the actors were present. And then the stage, uh, the, the, the artistic director comes in and says, I'm, I'm sad to announce that we'll have to shut down the production because of COVID. And there was one actress in the room that just began to sob. She said, I started this day with four different jobs that I was looking forward to, yeah. um, that I was either involved in or looking forward to. And in this one day, all of them were snatched away. All of them. And mm. she just began to sob. I sat down about, I don't know, f a month or two ago before uh, we were to come out here, and I was just writing all of the sort of disappointments that were caused by COVID. And, you know, I, many of them were directing projects um, that were scheduled to have happened over the course of the year. You plan in advance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of me just was so, so grateful to have been also on faculty at Howard because that meant that I still had a gig. Mm -hmm. I still had, you know, I could still pay the rent. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if, artis if artistry, if my artistry, were the only thing, I don't know what I, how I would have carried myself through the year. Yeah, you know, the, the one thing that brings you light and also puts food on your table mm -hmm. is suddenly snatched away with no sort of hope or idea of when it will be, you know, restored. And still, back in D.C., theaters are shuttered right now. People are making plans for the fall to open up in the fall. There are a few folk who are doing some digital stuff still, but for the most part, there's no live theater happening in D.C., so we, I feel incredibly fortunate to be able to come out here um, and do the work. You know, that, mm. you know, Richie Call has said, all right, 
well, it's time to move forward. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on the other side of it. And so let's, let's go forward boldly. Yeah. They're taking precautions. I know it's in a smaller theater, mm-hmm. uh, fewer in the audience, but it's still going forward. Yeah. And these are st- uh, stage readings, right? You elaborate on that ha. Uh, I stage. chuckle because, you know, I heard stage reading and I imagined standing in front of in front of a music stand with my script just picking up the words and delivering them ever so passionately to make up for the fact that there was no set costumes props etc but we ended up doing all of that so really i guess the only thing that technically makes it a staged reading is that we come we we get on stage at the top of the show with the scripts in our hands that we don't look at. And then we close them and put them down on the set mm-hmm. and never touch them again, never. which is lovely. I'm very mm-hmm. happy that we uh, were able to put it up on its feet completely. But I hope we don't confuse people about the meaning of yeah. stage readings right. for them the in the future. So, <laughs> yeah. so you're, you're getting essentially more than a stage reading. With, oh, you know. yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Well, we're due for a break. Let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, I want to get into the mountaintop uh, talk about the mountaintop and related themes. Uh, we are talking, if you just joined us, we're talking with uh, several uh, folks who are performing with the Lyric Repertory Company this uh, season in Logan. Um, and talking specifically, we'll get into talking about the mountaintop. It's a gripping two-person drama about the last day of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And we are talking with uh, director of this production, Eric Ruffin, and the two performers in the production, Sage Fortune and Kevin Thorne II. We'll have more following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Salt Lake City Weekly, a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. Support also comes from Hamilton's at the Country Club, celebrating Father's Day with a brunch on Sunday, June 20th from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Located at the Logan Country Club, 710 North, 1500 East in Logan. Reservations available at 435-753-6020 or by emailing info at cafesabor.com. On May 30th, 2021, Utah State University of Agriculture and Applied Science, licensee of KUSR 89.5 FM Logan, KUSK 88.5 FM Vernal, KUSL 89.3 FM Richfield, KUST 88.7 FM Moab, KCEU 89.7 FM Price, and KUSU-FM 91.5 FM Logan filed an application with the Federal Communications Commission for a renewal of license. Members of the public wishing to view this application or obtain information about how to file comments and petitions on the application can visit publicfiles.fcc.gov and search in KUSRs, KUSKs, KUSLs, KUSTs, KCEUs, and KUSUFM's public file. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. And we're talking with uh, actors uh, Sage Fortune and Kevin Thorne II, with director Eric Ruffin. They are all involved in uh, the two-person play um, about the last day of Martin Luther King Jr. It's called The Mountaintop. 
We'll get into talking about that. Uh, other productions in this season with Lyric Repertory Company in Logan include Dreaming American by Paul Mitri. It's the immigration story of an Egyptian man pushed by his older brother to go to America and live the dream. And upon his arrival, he experiences the freedom of liberties and the isolation of prejudices. Uh, very interesting uh, play. The Thanksgiving play is also being performed. It's the story of four woke theater makers who want to create a politically correct Thanksgiving play that's historically accurate, avoids all possible stereotypes, and doesn't offend anyone. This wickedly hilarious satire of traditional Thanksgiving story um, is uh, ongoing at the uh, theater. These are taking place in the Morgan Theater on the USU campus. Um, Interact uh, times two. Is that how we say it? Interact X2? <laughs> times two. I don't know. Interact. interact. Okay. <laughs> we'll call it Interact, a celebration of works in progress. We'll talk about that as well. All the Way by Robert Schenken. Uh, in uh, 2019, the Lyric Rep brought you The Great Society, which chronicled the second term of President Lyndon B. Johnson. And uh, this season, we're inviting the cast and director of The Great Society to return and present the prequel, All the Way, which depicts LBJ's first term in office as he works to establish the Civil Rights Act of 1964. That one stars Richie Call. And this season will also include the third annual Vosco Call Spotlight concert. Um, so you go to usu.edu slash lyric rep, usu.edu slash lyric rep, and there's a button that says buy tickets. <laughs> get tickets. So the Mountaintop premiered last night. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. More performances uh, to come. So I want to jump in uh, to that. Eric Ruffin, maybe give us a little bit of an overview. Uh, wow. The Mountaintop. So mm-hmm. Mountaintop is mm, this delicious fictitious tale of the night before MLK's uh, assassination. And he's visited by an angel, this cussing, drinking, smoking angel. And, you know, sort of what ensues over the course of the evening is a very humanized portrait of MLK. Um, The play is in this style of what we call magical realism. Magical realism is defined by having ordinary people facing extraordinary circumstances, and they are forced to do extraordinary things, even magical things, in order to sort of overcome those circumstances. So in the course of this tale, we see, you know, MLK, Martin Luther King, humanized. He's a man, and he did extraordinary things in his lifetime. And it also invites audience members to sort of pick up the baton and do extraordinary things in our lifetime because these are some extraordinary times. Um, but along the way, there's a lot of laughter. Um, it's very titillating. You know, I think on first pass when folks say, oh, it's the night before MLK is assassinated in his room, they think, oh, strum and drang. Oh, <laughs> this is going to be about politics. This is going to be about pain. No. It is not at all about trauma, which is a lovely thing right now. Um, it It is a, a celebration of him. It is a, um, a portrait of him that allows us to see him as a man um, and not just the icon, just the um, with all the reverence that is attached. Um, yeah, and I had f- so much fun putting it together, laughed throughout the rehearsal process, mm-hmm. went last night and was laughing and was delighted to see at the end of the evening a standing ovation. So mm. well, That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin Thorne II, you play 
Martin Luther King yes, Jr. What, what, uh, what was your thought going into this? Uh, this uh, I'm going to play an icon. I'm right? too young. Yeah, <laughs> for too, one thing. I'm right, too yeah. young. I'm, I'm, I, I don't have that understanding that I don't know what it's like to be a 39-year-old man facing his own mortality and, um, and, and, face, and coming face-to-face with um, an, an angel. I mean... It's really strange to kind of put myself in this space, but it's so it's been such a a a, a good challenge, right? Because I've been I've had like a wonderful support system in my director and in my co-star Sage, being both being able to keep me accountable and to push me to get to new heights and to find a vulnerability within King that so few people actually tend to recognize or to even think about. Um, Katori Hall gives MLK his flowers by allowing him to be, and this is something that Ruffin said and Key coined, giving someone their flowers, um, allowing them to be seen for the human being that they were. They laugh, they cry, they make mm-hmm. mistakes, they are flawed beyond belief, but they also have to live up to uh, an image that that the world is kind of counting on. And if that disappears, then they have no leader, right? So he has a tremendous amount of pressure on him to live this this perfect life he doesn't have. Um, he's, 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 he's a person who has his, his weaknesses, his... He's just a, he's just an everyday individual who had some extraordinary things placed on him and he had to rise to the occasion to some degree, any degree, any way he possibly could. And, um, you know, it's it's just an honor. And <laughs> and, you know, like I sometimes you know when I was backstage before I went on, I, I, I love to do this thing where I just um, sit and I, and since I'm playing a person who was alive, I, you know, I asked for this person to like channel themselves through me to just be with me or, or, or basically ask permission for me to live with them, live through them, let them live through me, allow our souls or some, some sort of, of, of morphing to occur so that I go on stage and I'm allowed to live. And I can lose and shed Kevin and take on MLK. And then as soon as I'm done, it can leave my soul. But I, that last monologue that I give towards the end is, ooh, it sticks with you. Mm. Because it's talking about the baton and passing it on. And I think, how am I carrying on this baton? How am I right now doing this? Am I doing it through this work right now by humanizing a black man? Yes, I think so. When we when we humanize a, a, a black individual, which we rarely do in the society, we have an idea of what black people are. We have a stereotype of what a black man is. We have a stereotype of what MLK is. But to actually allow for an opportunity to see a person who has all types of emotional states, has all types of insecurities, who has all types of frailties on stage is something that needs to be normalized, something that needs to be appreciated and continuously done because that's what we need as a society to, to humanize people who we don't know. 
We're afraid of what we don't know. We fear what we don't know. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm grateful just to to shed light on someone else's life. Mm. So, what you're just talking about uh, needed humanizing. You think theater can do that? Yes. Yeah. I think so because you have humans on stage. Mm-hmm. You have humans who are going through whatever they are going through, and MLK is going through the fact that he's just coming back from delivering a speech, um, his famous mountaintop speech, and he's tired, and he's thinking about what he has to do next. What's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing? And interject with this this angel right here, Cam May, and how how she literally kind of like pulls off all this armor that MLK has one by one, just like exposing him for who he is. And even by himself, just to see a person, a black man in a room by himself, that's how that's how the, the whole entire piece starts. It's like I remember this this the two minutes alone that um both me and Sage had to go through. Um, what does a person do when they're alone? Like, how do they react with um, just living life? Just like, okay, what do I got to do? What's my activity? Okay, what's in the way of that activity? And just Nietzsche who says we're only ourselves when we're alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You could tell. You could take that. um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's good. That's good. Yeah. So Sage Fortune, tell me about uh, your character, Kame. (laughs) Kame. So. you know, I'll talk. I'll I'll start off the way Kevin did. When I when I um found out that I would be playing Camay, the first thing I thought about was the fact that Angela Bassett played her on Broadway, and I was like, oh my gosh, Angela Bassett. You know, I feel like she's an idol for every black actress, and I can only hope to be graced by her presence one day. But I was like, oh my gosh, how do I live up to that? And then I was like, I don't. Um, what can I, I'm thinking about all the things that I am not immediately relating to. She has had a hard life. And of course, it's not, she wasn't a real person like MLK. So it's about the um, life that I imagined for her. But I know that life was not easy. I know that um, I was afforded a lot of privileges that she would not have dreamed of, partially, of course, because I was not alive in 1968 when things were a little rougher, um, but also because I grew up in the suburbs on Long Island. I went to a a very good school. I was afforded, you know, many opportunities to explore my likes and dislikes, etc., you know? Um, But I feel like Kame is the example that you don't have to do quote, extraordinary things to have an important life and to have an important role in this life. Um, she comes into this just wanting to to leave this earth doing something that is worth something. She just wants to be of service to the world in some way. And it's, this is a little random, but it kind of reminds me of, you know, the new animated Disney movie, Soul. Mm. And I remember people were talking about it a lot. It was like, everyone, do we realize how important this is? This movie is telling us that you don't have to have a purpose to 
to be worthy to walk the earth. We're here to experience, we're here to take things in, we're here to connect with people. You don't have to you don't have to have one thing that's supposed to make it worth something to be here, you know? We're just here to live. We um what is that quote? We are we are not um humans having like a soulful experience. We are souls having a human experience. We are souls here on this earth to see what it's like to be on this earth. And so um, I feel like Kame is just a person who is about to leave this planet doing something beautiful just by connecting with someone, just by being in a space with someone and letting them know that they are not alone and making them laugh and looking good while she does it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Wonderful. Eric, I wanted to uh, have you take off on something that Kevin said. He he talked about MLK, the man, trying to, in his lifetime, living up to an image, right? Mm -hmm. And that's how he could be effective. Uh, then the playwright has played with the, I assume, the, you know, the image, uh, mm-hmm. just the fact of uh, making a play about a real person. You're manipulating the image of of the icon and the man. Yeah. What do you talk about uh, about about that? That's uh, that's a lot of layers that are happening, right? Well, I will say that there has been, um, I guess, a little contention because there are those who feel this isn't what I want to see of MLK. This isn't the, you know how I've been presented with um, mm. the sort of the mythos of Martin Luther King Jr. and I don't want that tainted that vision you know, kind of comparable to American history mm. you know like we we have these um, these textbooks that we've been digesting for the last I don't know how many years and you know with the advent of the information age we have access to far more information and are able to say wait while you say that this thing happens in the textbook, you've left out this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So all of this to say that, you know, there's this very public and um, both pri- and private persona of the man. Um, there is a history that is that exists somewhere in between what's been said and what actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what's, what's the old saying you... The the story of the hunt is told by the oh. by the lion, mm. not by the um, antelope. Mm-hmm. You know, so then what we know about MLK is you know what's what exists in our textbooks, mm-hmm. what yeah. we may have gotten in the classroom, mm-hmm. but the sort of human side of him was not really explored. There wasn't room for that. So yeah. this is a great little romp because it gives us a chance to see um, <laughs> <he's> <laughs> cussing, drinking, smoking, <laughs> MLK, you right. know? He has some flaws, what some would consider flaws, right? Yeah. Um, and it's fun to go, it's fun to create that world and to sort of challenge folk to open up their perceptions um, see that people are far more complex than what's on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's time for another break. Uh, We will uh, take another break, come back with our last segment with our guests today, who are Kevin Thorne II and Sage Fortune. They are uh, performing in this production, The Mountaintop, and uh, the director of the production is Eric Ruffin. He's also with us. We're also previewing the other works in the uh, season from the Lyric uh, Repertory Company in Logan, and I'll just uh, mention here that uh, you can go to 
usu.edu slash lyricrep, usu.edu slash lyricrep. You'll see the whole season there, and there's a button on the top that says buy tickets, and you can buy tickets for, for any of the uh, productions. Uh, so many uh, productions are still coming of The Mountaintop. Well, after the break, we'll get into talking about uh, Interact as well, productions available of that as well. All the Way by Robert Schenken. Uh, Richie Call is involved in this one, and this one presents uh, Lyndon B. Johnson and um, uh, his uh, first term in office, uh, working to establish the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, sounds like a, a fun and funny play, The Thanksgiving Play by Larissa Fast Horse. Tells the story of four woke theater makers who want to create a politically correct Thanksgiving play that's historically accurate, avoids all the possible stereotypes, and doesn't offend anyone. <laughs> I'm, I'm chuckling every time I read that synopsis. <laughs> uh, have to go see that. Uh, another production is called Dreaming American by Paul Mitri, uh, who is the new uh, theater head at uh, Utah State University. Dreaming American is the immigration story of an immigrate uh, Egyptian man pushed by his older brother to go to America and live the dream. And upon his arrival, he experiences the freedom of liberties and the isolation of uh, prejudices. This is a world premiere. And, of course, The Mountaintop by Katori Hall, which we've been talking about. Again, uh, usu.edu slash lyric rep and uh, click on buy tickets. More following this. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and the American Festival Chorus and Orchestra, performing Mozart's Requiem 1 p.m. Saturday, July 10th at the Ellen Eccles Theater. Proceeds from the concert will benefit the Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater. Ticket information at utahfestival.org. This week in This American Life, a man is recruited by government intelligence. His job to test the security of banks by trying to rob them. And his handler tells him, Do not stay in a bank for longer than five minutes. And if you get arrested, stay silent. We'll have you out within 24 hours. So he gets arrested. What could possibly go wrong this week? Saturday morning at 10 here on Utah Public Radio. Utah Public Radio programming is supported by our members and the USU Lyric Repertory Company, presenting All the Way, a prequel to 2019's presentation of The Great Society, depicting LBJ's first term in office as he works to establish the Civil Rights Act of 1964, June 16th through July 17th. Details at lyricrep.org. Support also comes from Cafe Ibis, 52 Federal Avenue in historic downtown Logan. Open seven days a week, featuring triple-certified coffee, espresso bar, beans and brewing tools, and many gift options. Information and ordering at CafeIbis.com. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, and uh, we've been talking about the mountaintop. It's a uh, gripping two-person drama about the last day of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, we have in studio with us the uh, three folks involved in this production: the actors Kevin Thorne the second and Sage Fortune, and the director Eric Ruffin, um, and other uh, productions in this season of Lyric uh, Rep include Dreaming American, the Thanksgiving Play. All the Way, the third annual Vosco Call Spotlight concert, and Interact. That's what we'll get to talking about uh, here uh, now. Uh, and you can get tickets at usu.edu slash lyric rep. Uh, so, um, Ooh, can I jump in? Yes, yes. I just want to say also our assistant director, Summer Session, is actually the director of the Thanksgiving play. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
Good. Shout out to, to Summer. Yes. <laughs> so I understand you folks are involved in Interact. Yes. yes. That, uh, so uh, start with uh, Kevin Thorne second. Tell me about your part in Interact. Well, my part in Interact is um, dealing with coming to terms with your sexuality and being able to embrace love in that space. If I can, if I, I hope I have summed that up proper. Um, and it's been, you know, like this is something that um, me and both me say me and Sage have worked on individually, of course. Um, it was a project that started when we were at Howard University taking classes with this man right here, Eric Ruffin. Um, he said, we're going to write one person shows and um, that was going to be part of our junior year. And then it would be a part of uh, our performance aspect, graded aspect uh, for our senior year. And um, I didn't anticipate ever touching this piece again. I didn't ever think that it was going to grow into anything else, um, but it did. Uh, got the call from Rich, and he was like, okay, send me this stuff. I would like to see it. Um, and then I sent him my stuff. I sent him the, the piece before, and he said, you have full permission to work this, trim this, clean this, edit this all the way up until you get to stage and even after you could probably you know work things but that that ain't gonna happen <laughs> too much tech has been has happened uh to change a thing but uh it's it's going to be pretty exciting i am able to incorporate a lot of things that i have been working on for the past year i consider myself to be a mover i consider myself to be you know an actor i consider myself to be a singer i don't get to sing as any, I don't sing in this piece, but I'm able to showcase some physical theater that I believe sometimes has uh, even more an effect because sometimes words are, if you can't sing it, then you got to say it. If you can't say it, then you got to dance it. So I, I allow, I'm able to bring that aspect out of myself. Hmm. Wonderful. So Sage Fortune, tell me about Hello. your piece. Um, so my piece is kind of like a reckoning about how we have completely just screwed up all of our priorities as a <laughs> as a larger society um just about how you know the system that we serve and that and that we feed every day prioritizes power and profit for a very select few amount of people and leaves the health and safety and general well-being of everyday people to the wayside and how it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable um, emotionally and it's not sustainable environmentally, <laughs> you know, um, all of the it's the same system that is responsible for racism and misogyny is that system that is killing the earth and who is doing a grave disservice to the future generations who should be able to thrive on this planet mm -hmm. in every way, health-wise and socially. Um, yeah, so I wrote this at Howard, um, but I was graduating as soon as COVID hit. So instead of getting to perform it at a theater um, like Kevin's class did. I had to uh, revamp things so I could make it fit for the screen since we were um, then presenting it, you know, film-like. And so that was such a process for me. And, you know, um, since that was when everything was going crazy, 
I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to finish this. And when I somehow did, I was like, I don't think I'll ever touch this ever, ever again. <laughs> and then, like Kevin said, Richie called, <laughs> and here we are. And I'm glad to be here. Mm. It has definitely been a very interesting process, um, revamping it from film. And then because I had the opportunity to do to do it on camera, I was like, well, I'm going to do it on camera. And I had my two costumes for my two characters that come up. <laughs> And I made it like a little movie. And so I was like, oh, now I have to figure out how to actually transform between these two people on and off for live theater. What a privilege and a challenge. Um, so that's been very fun. And it's been lovely working with the design team to see everything come to life in a way that I didn't imagine I would get the opportunity to see. Um, in such a gorgeous theater to the Kane Lyric Theater. Um, it's been really, really lovely. Yeah, and I got to definitely shout out those people who have been working alongside us in the tech world, putting up with us and making edits. And, and the stage managers. And stage managers. Everybody on that team has been truly phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I got to say, Rich knows how to pick his team, mm -hmm. and the team knows how to back up Rich and um, everyone who comes into the process. Well, we'll leave it there. We're out of time. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> it's a right. uh, great place to end this. So uh, come and see the team in, in these productions. The Mountaintop, Dreaming American, The Thanksgiving Play, Interact, All the Way, and the third annual Bosco Call Spotlight Concert. This is the season from the Lyric Repertory Company. They're a part of the Kane College of the Arts at Utah State University, and you can find them at usu.edu slash lyricrep, usu.edu slash lyricrep. Uh, seasons we've had with us uh, in studio here, um, Eric Ruffin, who is director for this production of The Mountaintop. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Can I just give you, so yes. these are 21st century writers. These are people who are creating the storytelling that will exist on our stages for the next generation. And so their voices, their sensibilities, the aesthetics are exciting and dynamic. And I think we should support as much as we can these young creatives. So come and see The Mountaintop, come and see Interact as well. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Thorne II, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've never been doing this before. It's really strange. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. Pleasure. And Sage Fortune, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm excited for everyone's feedback for Ooh, Interact. I forgot about the feedback. <laughs> yes. Great. Well, come and see that and give the feedback. <laughs> and thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. Skywatcher Leo T here. Look up, look around, get a little lost in space. After dark, we don't need a spaceship to look to the south-southeast for orange Antares, a red supergiant of summer. This is the beautiful center of the Scorpion, which is one of the few constellations that I actually think looks like its namesake. Around and upper right of Antares, the other wider stars of upper Scorpius form their distinctive pattern. The row of three stars upper right of Antares traditionally marks the Scorpion's head. In binoculars or a small telescope, the top one, Beta Scorpii, is a magical double star that looks like a big and smaller atom hanging out in space and, when aligned with another star, make a cosmic triangle. The tail of the scorpion extends down toward the horizon, with the tail ending with two beautiful cat's eyes barely sticking above the horizon. Scorpius is a magical treat of summer, always low and twinkly on the horizon, with many swirly, faint star patterns and sparkly colors amidst the bigger stars. Stay tuned for Skywatcher Leo T. Star Party coming soon. We'll get together and look at them ourselves. 
And on Sunday, June 20th, the summer solstice, also known as festival solstice or midsummer, occurs when one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt toward the sun. It happens twice yearly, once in each hemisphere. For that hemisphere, the summer solstice is when the sun reaches its highest position in the sky and is the day with the longest period of daylight. Within the Arctic Circle, Antarctic Circle, there is continuous daylight around the summer solstice. The solstice arrives at 9.16 p.m., marking the first day of summer in the northern hemisphere and the first day of winter in the southern hemisphere. Also on June 20th, the same day as the solstice, NASA astronaut Shane Kimbrew and European Space Agency astronaut Thomas Pesquet will make their second six-hour spacewalk together this month to install another new solar array outside the International Space Station. Happy walking! If you're an early riser, you can watch the spacewalk live on NASA TV at 6 a.m. Also, if you're up, you can catch Jupiter and Saturn up there in the sky. On Skywatch Early OT, it's one sky, many cultures. Today, we'll travel to northern Montana and visit the Blackfoot tribe. The Blackfoot believe the above people, or sky beings, were the first creations. The first sky being is Natosi, the sun, who is highly venerated by the Blackfoot people and ruler of the sky people. Other sky beings include the moon goddess. Natosi, the sun god, is married to the moon goddess, and their son is the morning star hero. To the Blackfoot, the stars in the sky or sky beings are sacred spirits and live in the sky world far above the clouds with their own society and land. So if you're out on a dark night and there's a slight breeze and the big puffy clouds hanging low and heat lightning pulsing on the horizon and lightning talking between the clouds and a few stars in the sky, feel the energy of the sky beings around you. As we look up, look around, and get a little lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T on Utah Public Radio, UPR, with translator stations statewide and streaming live at upr.org. Support for Utah Public Radio programming comes from our members and Idaho National Laboratory, where researchers are taking safety for tomorrow's nuclear reactors to the next level by using the laws of physics. More information about the evolution of reactor safety systems is available on INL's YouTube channel. Support also comes from Cash Arts, presenting the Music City Hitmakers, award-winning songwriters the Warren Brothers performing the songs they penned for Nashville's most notable stars, reimagined for symphony. June 26th at 7.30 p.m. Tickets at cacharts.org.